Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. I'm Bruna, and this is our penultimate episode in our second summer short series. The aim of this series is to bring you weekly, bite-sized episodes through July and August, covering different papers our team at the Centre for Appearance Research has published recently. I'm here today with Nadia Craddock, who is a senior research fellow at CAR, and you'll be familiar with Nadia as you hear her <laughs> voice often. Hi, Hi Nadia. Hi, Bruna. It's funny being this side of the of the setup. I know, right? You're watching me do the introductions, making okay. sure it's all. <laughs> Yeah, amazing to have you here, um, Nadia, to talk to us about some of your work. And what paper is it that we'll be talking about today? Yeah, lovely. Thanks, Bruna. So today I will be talking about a paper called Understanding Colorism in the UK, the Development and Assessment of the Everyday Colorism Scale. And it's published in Ethnic and Racial Studies. Amazing. And who were your co-authors on the paper? Yeah, sure. So co-authors are Dr Aisha Phoenix, who is a UKRI Future Leaders Fellow at King's College London, Dr Katerina Gentili, Professor Fiona Barlow, who's based at the University of Queensland, Professor Philippa Diedrichs at CAR, and Professor Paul White, who's also based at UWE. Amazing stuff. And can you tell me what you were trying to find out? In brief, colorism is a form of prejudice and discrimination based on skin shade that penalizes people of color with darker skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually did a whole feature length episode on the topic recently with Dr. Aisha Phoenix, one of the collaborators. So for any of our listeners who want to find out more about the topic in general, highly recommend giving that a listen. So that's colorism. And essentially in this project, the initial goal was to quantitatively explore colorism in the UK and specifically to look at the relationship between experiences of colorism and health and well-being outcomes. But we quickly hit a roadblock because we couldn't find an adequate measure that captures people's experiences of people's experiences of colorism. So mm. we couldn't we couldn't go straight in with that with that that research. So essentially, we had to develop our own measure. That's really interesting. And why did you think it was important to develop this measure? It would help us answer that question. But more broadly, it's super relevant to capture subjective experiences of prejudice and discrimination, particularly when we're thinking about health and well-being outcomes. That's really clearly demonstrated in existing literature on other types of prejudice and discrimination, so racism, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and also, how people think about skin shade is also super relative. Like, who I think has got light skin, dark skin, it can really vary based on people's racialized group, a whole number of factors. So there's a lot of value in looking at this topic, looking at colorism subjectively, focusing on how people feel they're being treated based on their skin shade. So, yeah, so that's why we wanted to develop the measure. We wanted to do it to, to, to be able to do the the initial research idea but then also it has it has a lot of value I think um so that was the primary aim of this paper to develop a measure on perceived colorism amazing yeah and thanks for sharing kind of the importance of that the value that the subjective nature brings to and so what did you guys end up doing to try and achieve this yeah good question so it turns out developing a measure is not a small task really <laughs> Yeah, surprisingly, <laughs> it's a, a rather long-winded process. Um, mm. So I'll try and summarise, um, but forgive me if I miss out anything. So 
first step was that we looked to see if any other measures existed. So basically to double check that there wasn't something that we could use off the shelf. Um, and when we confirmed that there wasn't, we looked at other measures of perceived discrimination and prejudice to see if there's anything that we could use to as a, a bit of a model or a foundation. We're not looking to reinvent the wheel, um, but we do want something that's specific to the topic of colorism. So um, where we landed here was the Everyday Discrimination Scale, which was created by Professor David Williams. It's a super widely used measure of of discrimination experiences of discrimination that's used in, in the field of public health. And so this was a really excellent starting point and foundation. So then we could start tweaking it to and tweaking the items. So they were really specific to colorism. So that was started there. Then in order to, to, to do those tweaks and make the items really specific, we went back to the literature on colorism. There's lots of qualitative work that we were looking at to see, OK, like how can we make the items feel really specific to colorism? Um, so then we then had this like, initial pool of items. And then with this initial pool of items, we then consulted with a number of subject experts um, internationally to see what items worked and what didn't so we mm. basically were looking for for them to give us recommendations suggestions if there's anything we want to drop if there's anything we want to add does any of the wording not work so that allowed us to do a kind of a set of refinements on our item pool with this revised version we then did some acceptability interviews so we just spoke to some people of color um to see if the items landed did they make sense did mm. they were they like clear to answer um, did they feel appropriate as well? You know, we just wanted to kind of sense check some of some of those things. So that allowed us to do another round of refinements and that landed us with 27 items in total. And the, so then the next step was to then do a survey with a large group of people. So we had 547 people of colour living in the UK complete this survey, um, which include the, included these 27 items so they could fill that out. Um, and and then the, the kind of last step in the measures creation process was a, a set of like statistical analysis. And that, that kind of helped us get to our final measure. Amazing stuff. It sounds like you did a whole bunch. Um, and potentially for those less familiar with measure development, um, it'd be really helpful to realise kind of how much it goes, you know, how much goes into developing a measure. Yeah, it's not it's not a quick <laughs> It's not a quick task. So if you think you're going to do it in two weeks, you're not. <laughs> Regardless, it sounds like it's, you know, really needed and um, it was a really worthwhile cause. And so from that process, Nadia, can you tell us what were your key findings and kind of the key things that you learned and found out? From that 27 items that we tested in the survey, we were then able to reduce those down even further. And we ended up with a 16 item measure of perceived everyday colorism. And we found that there are two distinct subscales. So one that captured more subtle experiences of colorism and the other that captured more overt experiences of colorism. So I can actually give you an example from each. So from the subtle sub, from the subtle subscale, um, one of the items would be because of my skin shade, I feel people treat me with less respect than they do other people of the same ethnicity as me who have lighter skin. So that's it's subtle. It's what people are perceiving. And then 
in comparison with an overt item, which would be along the lines of because of my skin shade, people call me names about my skin shade or they insult me because of my skin shade or they make fun of my skin shade. So it's 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 more explicit. Mm. Um, And then so then that because now then we had our scale, we were then able to um, look at some trends on on colorism in the UK, as well as testing that initial goal that we had of how does perceived colorism or how is perceived colorism associated with various health outcomes. Right. uh, It's a nice bonus that you were able to also address the kind of initial aim that got you to the to the measure development um, using the data. Yeah, definitely. We, we we found some associations. And one thing that I have not said about the scale that I think is, is really important is that we actually got people to fill out the scale twice. Because mm-hmm. in our understandings of colorism, colorism can occur from people. It can occur within group and between groups um, and between racialized groups and, and within racialized groups. So um, as someone who's South Asian, I can experience colorism from someone else who is South Asian, but I can also experience colorism from people of different racialized groups, from white people, from from people from different backgrounds. So we wanted to see if that made a difference in that association between colorism um, and health outcomes. So does it make a difference if it's someone from the same racialized group as you that you're, you're feeling colorism from or colorism from a different racialized group as you? Does that make a difference? And actually, what was really interesting with that, so that's why we asked them to to fill it fill it out twice. So mm-hmm. once on the basis that you're thinking about experiences of colorism from people from the same racialized group as you, so your in group, and then once from people from a different racialized group. And we actually, in this particular study, we chose white people because mm-hmm. we did a study in the UK. UK is majority white. It felt like a relevant out group that was consistent for everyone because we had a, a multiracial sample. Right. Um, and that was interesting because we found that actually with some psychological well-being outcomes, colorism from one's in-group had higher associations, was more, so essentially was more relevant to people's um, well-being outcomes. Right, than, that's so interesting. From, from from white people. So it had a stronger impact on health and well-being outcomes than perceived colorism experienced by white uh, from white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Why do you think that is? I think, well, I think what's important in in that test is that we controlled for racism. So I think once you take racism right. out of that equation and it's just looking at colorism, so just the variation based on skin shade, I think when we're looking at colorism from white people, maybe some of that gets clouded by racism. Mm-hmm. And then also I think there is something about if you're experiencing prejudice from people who are from the same racialized group as you, I, I think it, I'm trying to think of the way to explain it, but it makes sense to me that that may hurt more because, and, and if you think of people who may be the same racialized group as you, that could be your family, that could be your friends, that could be, right. you know, your community that you're growing up with. So I think it it could be more potent because of that, because actually you hold those opinions maybe in higher esteem, for example, but but there's definitely a lot more to to dig out as to why and really understand that. But that would that would be what I would imagine. That's really interesting, and I I definitely hope that you continue to do this work, Nadia, because um, it's clear that there's so much more to this, and um, 
these findings already are so interesting, but just make me want to know more. I think you've already mentioned lots of this, but was there anything additional that surprised you with the, with these findings? I don't think anything that stood out particularly that that surprised me I think we just Mm -hmm. identified a lot of next steps of what we need to do to refine and I feel like it's it's this never-ending cycle you do some work and then you you find all the do more work (laughs) that you're like oh actually so much more work is is needed and I think when we're thinking about measurements and scales in particular there's lots of ways to think about it and refinements to be made and thinking about is this going to be valid in different countries Mm. and actually do we need to do validation in different countries because the items might be slightly different how we word the questions might be slightly different and that's not even considering like language translations and, and things like that so I think yeah nothing hugely surprised me that I can think of off the top of my head but it the work did identify a lot of other future directions in terms of how do we where do we move from here Um, and I think we can think about that in two ways so where do we move from here in terms of the scale itself in terms of the measurement itself so in terms of improving it in terms of validating it for other other countries and then the other way of thinking about it is actually how do we how do we use the scale Mm. and what questions do we use the scale to answer and so that's some of the work that we've been doing now is thinking okay based on the scale it's the best that we have what what we're finding in terms of perceived colorism and different outcomes so we've recently done a study looking like testing a a bigger model on on perceived colorism and, and body image for example so um that's another way that we can we can use it and giving us lots of different opportunities to to move forward amazing amazing stuff as i said i really do hope um you continue to pursue this because it's awesome work well first of all thank you so much Bruno. it's been really nice talking to you about it i think as i as i hopefully comes across it's like it's a lot of work and there's a lot more work to be done and i think it's it's really interesting and i think there's so much more that we need to understand about how this operates for people and mm-hmm. um, both like internally so how people are thinking about it but also like how this is actually um playing out in the in society at large in the UK because I think we, do, we don't know as much as we do uh, compared with the US for example so um, anything else I want to add um, I would love people to use the scale because that's how we refine it and make it better and actually see how it's working and and that's the purpose of having a scale right to use it so mm. I think that'll be the main thing to add is, is for people for other researchers out there who are interested in in topics related to this to to test it use it and then if there's any feedback let me know I'm really curious and would love to build on it so yeah great stuff and we'll have as always the paper linked in the show notes and I'm assuming the measure can be accessed within that publication yeah yeah and mm-hmm. it's open access as well so it's free for anyone to read and as i said right at the beginning um we did a feature length episode on the podcast with dr aisha phoenix talking about colorism in general so if you if if people want just a bit more background on, on the topic that's a mm-hmm. good a good place to start i would say yeah and i'll link that episode in the show notes too so you guys can check it out easily very final question you know this because you've been asking people this all summer long what is your favorite summer snack Nadia. I thought no one would ever ask me. <laughs> You're like, I've had this answer ready. I know, but it's one of those things that I've been thinking about it for so long that it's like now, mm. like, oh, now what, where do I go? I think, oh, I mean, I, I love so many things and I just love summer anyway, but I think my favourite summer snack just has to be ice cream. I'm such a, or strawberries and ice cream. I'm such a, I uh, just love it. I just love it. It just 
makes me happy in so many ways. <laughs> I agree with that one. I think ice cream is a safe is a safe summer snack. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Nadia, so much for joining us um, as a guest on this episode of our summer short series. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to Appearance Matters, the podcast. This has been the penultimate episode of our summer short series, bringing you brief weekly episodes focused on recently published work from Carr. As always, make sure you rate and review and tune in next week for our final summer shorts of this year. 